Well, bright boy, why don't you say something? Like what? Like that. Hit the theme music. Yeah. I'm a bright boy. Yeah, I'm alright with that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of got. I had. I knew. I found one that was good in reading it when I was doing the thing. That's all right, bright boy. I don't remember what it was anymore. Bright boy, why you gonna be so bright boy? Hey, bright boy. Hey, bright boy. Hey, hey, hey bright boy. How about you go back there in the kitchen? Wait. Right, boy? <laughs> yeah, well. Say hi to your mother for me. Welcome, dear listener readers. Hello, everyone. To Slow Readers. Your weekly fast-paced literature podcast. Brought to you by books. <laughs> Here, the conversation's always on podcasts. It's always on Top Count Radio. It's always on reading. It's always on Daniel Gonzalez. It's always on Gabe Mara. It's always on book. It's always on red wine. It's always on little book. It's always on red, red wine. Make me feel so fine. It's always on Kilimanjaro. It's always on Jayco. It's always on dropping the H4N. Yes, it is. <laughs> My poor, poor H4N. Yeah, well, I'm sure it got worse. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, no. But Gabriel, yes, hello. who are you? <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Gabe Mara. I'm a comedian every now and again. I'm a writer and a podcast producer. And every now and again, you'll catch me behind a bar. Daniel, who are you? I am Daniel Gonzalez, America's fast-paced literature podcast brought That's to you by Top Gun Radio. You're like the lawnmower man, except for a podcast. Basically. No, I am an audio producer, editor, and a uh, writer, and an author, I should say. Oof. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel is like a neuromancer. I am like a neuromancer. He's one of those cowboys. Gabriel? Mm-hmm. I straight up don't really know what a neuromancer is. <laughs> it's a hacker. All right. You know, I, I, no, there's something more to it than that. I like, tried reading the book, and I was like, oh, like, oh, cyberpunk. I like cyberpunk things. And then like the moment like it gets all like samurai and shit, I'm just yeah. like, what the fuck? I don't know. I love what, it. What is this dorky ass shit? I'm, I'm really into cyberpunk uh, shit, as I, you know. I, I think supposedly someone's trying to make a new movie of it recently, and hopefully whoever- They've never not been trying to make a movie of it. True. Yeah. If anyone's going to make a movie, I want it to be Denis Villeneuve, but he's already done it. It's called Blade Runner 2049. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, what's the story? Eh, whatever. Fuck it. Let's not- We're not here to talk about it's goddamn heist. cyberpunk. It's, all a, right? it's, a, heist, it's we're, a heist story. We're not talking about goddamn cyberpunk, Gabriel. All right. We're here to talk about a book. Um, What book? A Gabriel? I think we meant we're here to talk about two short stories. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Not sorry. Gabriel, mm-hmm. we have two little short stories. We are. Uh, we read this time. Mm-hmm. Kind of at a, at a whim. You yeah. Know? Uh, basically, I have all these like beautiful uh, uh, mass paperback copies, uh, Scribner's copies mm-hmm. of like these three Hemingway books. Where'd um, you get it from? I got it from the Iliad Bookstore. Iliad Bookstore for all of your Trojan needs. Actually, um, oh, I didn't bring the other two here and for cats. you. For you, uh, oh, they have got cats. They're other lovely cats. Yeah, you can go on the cats. website and actually, they have information on all the cats that they had. Makes sense. They're named like Apollo and like like Zeus, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Great uh, bookstore here in L.A. Great bookstore. Actually, I, I, yeah, I'm finding the urge to go back there. Sunny Los and Angeles. Keep being like, I need to get copies of this right now. Mm-hmm. But um, I bought two copies. Uh, I bought a, a little, a little adorable uh, in our time, which mm. is actually in my room over there. And uh, right here, we're reading uh, two stories from The Snows of Kilimanjaro and other stories. Sure. This was a later short story compilation that came out towards the end of Hemingway's career, which Mm -hmm. is roughly around the time when he died. And uh, the rest of the stories are basically just kind of like a Hemingway best of a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah, Daniel, you know, I love a greatest hits collection. Gabriel, this is I, I really wish that more writers out there put out like best of compilations they're called like readers aren't they yeah there's like multiple things um like there was like portable hemingways portable Faulkner's. actually i don't think there was a portable hemingway 
<laughs> but there was like portable fog. Daniel found his calling. There was a uh, like, for example, um, the, for the Purple Faulkner, it wasn't just short stories; it was also parts of like the novels that that they had and such. Cool. Um, but yeah, no, cool shit. Uh, and Gabriel, yeah, uh, that's a long-winded say that uh, w- a long-winded way to say that a long-winded way to say yep. the Daniel Gonzalez story that we read two stories. We did indeed two because one is very short. Sure, <laughs> and another one is. Also pretty short. I, I balked at the two thing, and then you were like, oh, both of them are five pages long. Yeah. And I'm like, fine. And then I sat down to read them, and then I'm like, god damn it, he tricked me. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Daniel, I, um, it takes me about as long to read a five-page Hemingway story as it takes for me to read a 30-page story by someone else. Yeah, because you can't speed read it. Thus, you tricked me. Yeah, no. I didn't trick you. You I mean, tricked me. I'm sorry. I made you read. You tricked me into reading the thing I hate the most in the world. I, I made you read every word that's actually on the page instead yeah. of instead of some bad writer who basically just like has like one important thing to say in a paragraph mm-hmm. that you can just speed read. Yeah. This is real fucking writing. Yeah, it's like you're making me do manual labor. It's like I tricked you into doing math. It's like editing breaths <laughs> out of something. So, uh, so yeah. So, like, uh, the two stories uh-huh. are... A clean, well-lighted place. Sure. And the killers. Mm-hmm. Now, these are two out of Hemingway's probably four most popular short stories. Um, the other, the other two I would say would be like the snows of Kilimanjaro, mm-hmm. a story I don't like. Okay. Uh, and also I know nothing about it. Hills like white elephants. You don't know anything about the snows of Kilimanjaro? No. Okay. Basically, like everyone has like a favorite side of Hemingway and like a least favorite side of Hemingway. Sure. Naturally, for me, my least, the least favorite side of Hemingway for me personally is like the Africa shit. My um, favorite side is his right side. <laughs> is this Mr. Brightside? Mr. Brightside. Speaking of the Killers, oh, a band I really don't like. Is that is that the second time recently you made a reference to the band The Killers that I that went over my head because I don't know anything about The Killers. Yeah, I know <laughs> enough about them to know I don't like them. Yeah, I know that the songs that everyone here heard back mm-hmm. in the day are they still around? That's a good question. I, no I think the lead idea. singer still performs. Okay, still alive, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Somehow. So, um. Uh, so yeah, no, uh, uh, Snows of Kilimanjaro, basically, I can, no, that's a whole saga. In, in fact, <laughs> I, I said last time, last time we did Hemingway, which is, uh, was his last year, it's like, oh, next time, let's do one of the, like, the Hemingway stories that, like, aren't good, or, okay. like, are easy not to like. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, uh, not to get too into it, not that I know what you even feel about this, but I would say, like, I wouldn't say that these are necessarily those stories. I would love to at some point do, like, Across the River Into the Trees, which is his most, like, reviled work. Sure. Um, or even doing something like The Snows of Kilimanjaro, a very popular story that I do not like. Okay. Um, Gabriel. Uh-huh. So let me tell you some things about the dude. About uh, the dude? And instead, instead of talking about old... Ernesto Papa mm-hmm. uh, Hemingway. The importance of being Hemingway. I'm going to talk about like the stories, like their origins and whatnot, and where okay. they came about, because I think that's more interesting. We talk about Hemingway a bunch. Maybe when we do, when we when we hate read a Hemingway story, we'll, sure. we'll, we'll cover that then. Uh, so Gabriel, uh-huh. the Killers. Okay. Nineteen thirty-seven. What the fuck? That's not right. Okay. <laughs> no, it's What's uh, your source? It's 27. No, no, I wrote it wrong. That's a typo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right, hold on. I'm just going to correct that piece of shit. Uh-huh. Talking about myself, apparently. Um, So apparently- uh, Correct the ki- that piece of shit. The Killers, which was originally published in Charles Scribner's Sons magazine. That's such a long name. Charles Scribner's Sons, which is now- more commonly and Scribners? thankfully known as Scribner sure. or Scribners. Um, but back then, that was the name of the fucking publishing house. Charles Scribner's Sons. 
That's like five S's. Yeah, that's like, like that's like an acting exercise. Six. Charles Scribner's Sons magazine. Exactly. And uh, that same year, 1927, uh, it was collected in the short story collection Men Without Women, not uh-huh. to be confused with Haruki Murakami's Men uh, Without Women that yeah, came out yeah, recently, yeah. which is interesting. I'm, I'm curious what why. What are there parallels? Uh, I'm sure there is because uh, Murakami is a bit of like an Anglophile, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's why, like, um, you know, he famously, he writes in English and translates back into Japanese, which is why his writing is so stilted sometimes. He does that? Mm-hmm. That's how he know. writes. I, I, okay. He's a real Nabokov? That's how he started anyway, especially his um his detective stories kind of things. Uh-huh. He started out writing in English first. Um, That's in that's in his introduction to Win Pinball. Okay. I read that too. I don't remember that. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, speaking of which, well, here's one of the reasons why most likely that it has to, it has to be a reference towards the Hemingway short story collection. Tell us why. Uh, because many people agree with this, but the biographer Kenneth Lynn uh, pointed out that like probably if Men Without Women isn't considered like the most important and influential short story American short story collection in the 20th century, that's only because it came out after In Our Time, which is the first. Hemingway short story collection. When did, which, he, when did he say this? Uh, the biographer. Yes. Oh, like eighties or so. Really? Yeah. Honestly, like if you were to say like what are probably like the most influential and important like short story coll- no, American just, short story collections, this. like that didn't even come up with us. Our, our answer was always nine stories. I, I think my personal favorite would be nine stories. I think nine stories is the most famous short story collection in the history of literature. Uh, I I think, uh, don't get me wrong. Like we, most we, well known, not necessarily most well read, but if someone had to say, do you know any short story collections? You're like, nine stories? Yeah, maybe maybe I think by today's standards it might be a little more popular just because like Hemingway isn't kind of as po- Hemingway yeah. it was a celebrity writer, so, you know, people have, I mean, we can go on about that for a while, but. Yeah, his name still carries a lot of baggage. I would say that if you were to, if you were to like, there would be no nine stories if it wasn't for Inner Time. I can I'm tell sure. you that, yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, but uh, but no, that's that that can be that's a whole argument and discussion. Um, can of worms. That said, uh, so yeah, uh, other stories and men without women were hills like white elephants and are in another country and the undefeated. Um, the yeah, uh, the killers itself was originally titled the Matadors. Cool. And uh, uh, Hemingway pointed out that he probably more than anything else he's written, he took more out of this story than mm. any others so like there he described that he took all of chicago out of the story oh interesting um and yeah and so like so like the little bare bones kind of story we have here is basically just like a much larger complicated plot basically taking everything else out except for what's on the page just like any hall just like any hall what <laughs> well any hall is a huge murder mystery except they took everything out of it except the love story and that's did, any hall did they film the murder mystery part yeah the whole movie was shot it just didn't work it's called anhedonia and there's an entire murder mystery subplot in that thing actually the plot's the murder mystery the relationship with annie is a subplot that they subplot, made in the whole actually. movie all right, that's interesting. Did they reshoot any? Did he reshoot anything? They probably added some shit. They always do. All right. You love Woody Allen. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Once upon a time. <clears throat> um. Yeah, and also during the time, 1927, of course, this is like the height of like Al Capone and organized crime in Chicago. Sure. And like, so nobody really wrote about it that much because it was sticky. Um. And yeah, Uh. also this might have been based on the well-known mob killing a popular boxer, Andre Anderson. Huh. Um, this was adapted a bunch of times into a movie. Uh, adapted most famously, I believe, in the 1946 film noir starring Burt Lancaster and Ava Gardner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe this is most well known. It was like nominated for a bunch of shit. Yeah, I think so. Um, there was the uh, very interesting 1956 student short film 
Directed by Andre Tarkovsky. That's very interesting. Uh, director of Solaris, Stalker, uh, Ivan's Childhood. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not what you... Like, I read this and I was like, huh? Interesting. Is that a different Andre Tarkovsky? No. Nope. There's dude. only one. Uh, there was a 1959 television movie, and then there was also a 1964 film starring Lee Marvin, Ronald Reagan, and Angie Dickinson. Um, the not to get into like what the story is about yet. The the story structure is very similar to the the 1946 movie, which basically takes the story that happens in this, and that's like the introduction scene. And most of the movie is a flashback involving how it took to get to the murder. I understand the impulse to do exactly that to make it into a movie, but it seems like they're missing the entire point of the short story. Kind of, yeah. Also, to it's like turning Uncle Wiggily in Connecticut into like a sweeping melodrama. Yeah, it is. It's like, why did you bother? It makes sense. It's a movie because it's like, what else are you gonna? do without making like a fucking Terrence Malick movie out of it. I don't know. Just steal the idea and call it something else. Um, Interestingly enough the the 64 version uh, had instead of him being a boxer he was a race car driver. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, In my mind I thought you meant like N64 version. You know the N64 version of the killer? The N64 version. Yeah. Yeah. It's really awesome. Really terrible graphics. Banjo-Kazooie. It's all about Banjo-Kazooie. Gabriel. Perfect Dark. The other short story uh-huh. is uh, A Clean Will Light It Place. Yes. Uh, this came out in Scribner's Magazine in 1933. I'm not familiar with the publication. And you mean all- Charles Scribner's Sons Magazine? You mean, yeah, Charles Scribner's Sons, which we all uh, we all prefer to say. The, yeah. the Charles Scribner's Charles Sons. Charles Scribner's Sons Magazine. Magazine. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, just like uh, the killers uh, came out with the magazine the same year as it was collected in a short story collection. Mm. This was collected in Winner Take Nothing. A very interesting point between these two stories is that uh, basically the 20s were Hemingway's kind of like Bob Dylan in the 60s career where he sure. everything he put out was loved popular and like everyone treated him like he could do no wrong and then by the time that this came out his career started to kind of get sketchy yes uh winner take nothing whereas uh men without women is very popular and influential winner take nothing is not i like that you compared two different things to each other and these two things are things that i am indifferent to only casually interested in yeah i know uh, maybe it's like a cultural reference thing like dylan oh sure no i just like that. That, that just amused me but yeah yeah so um Basically, uh, jo- it's like me comparing two animes to each other. <laughs> to uh, well, it's more like you comparing an anime to a no, it's like the, pop it's, song. It's like comparing <laughs> like a like Naruto, like peak Naruto uh-huh. pre Shippuden, to something more along the lines of classic Hunter Hunter. What's Hunter? Oh, those are that's another anime. Yes, it is. I never heard of that one. It's a good one. All right, I've heard it in Naruto. Just yeah, it's Naruto. But uh-huh. um, so yeah, uh, James Joyce called this uh, story one of the best short stories ever written, and that he's Wait, qu- which one? Clean, well lighted place. Clean, well lighted place. Uh, he's quote unquote uh, reduced the veil between literature and life. Um, the other stories included in Winter Take Nothing are God Rest Ye Merry Children and A Way You'll Never Be. Um, and uh, this came out shortly after the publication of Death in the Afternoon, which was also similarly kind of like influential and important but people are just like whatever dude okay. um so uh and so basically Hemingway was getting super moody and then this came out and got like a kind of similar thing where people love certain stories and they hated it some of the reason that um people don't like some of the stories is that like a bunch of stories are cheap shots at his own mother 
who he had a very contemptuous relationship so that if there was a story like like uh what was it uh, uh mother of the queen and god rest you mary children which is very much about like guilt towards one's mother and that, sure. that like are clearly very angsty and violent yeah um yeah he says fuck you mom like 15 times in the story <laughs> one story is just it's just it's just a fuck you mom it's a <laughs> picture of him punching his own mom in yeah. the head it's, ex- it's an extended <laughs> whiny emo song about my mom's a bitch <laughs> pretty much yeah so people are kind of like being like this is when people all of a sudden went from him being like oh he's the golden child he does nothing wrong to like i'm over this guy the blowback and his career basically remained in that stage for the rest of his life which was like That's another 30 years roughly Oof. um uh uh uh, uh cheap shadows his mother yep uh in hotchner's biography papa hemingway she quotes that ernest says that this is his favorite story of all time oh wow really yes and uh yeah and kind of like i feel like the the killers is a little more popular but like i think uh a clean well-lighted place a title that i used to always get wrong mm-hmm. um is is one of like the most like beloved like people people feel people love the story like they love nine stories for sure example. yeah like oh, that, i can see that yeah so gabriel yes Daniel. that was a lot of talking uh-huh can you do us a favor sure well how about this uh we have two stories to talk about do you have any particular one you want to talk about first well um, let's talk, let's talk about a well-lighted first place first because I think that that's a little bit more straightforward. Um, I have some broader thoughts about the killer, so I'll go do that one second. Okay. Okay. So first of all, um, a clean, well-lighted place. Um. So. Yeah, both these stories are. Nothing happens in them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm okay with that. Um, I think for me, like, interestingly, this this story reads a little bit like Borges, where it's just a simple description of a thing. They're slightly labyrinthine, but it's just a description of a few small moments in the interior lives of a few people, mm-hmm. which I think is really neat. Um, I've, I've said this before. Reading Hemingway, reading most of the authors you specifically like, mm-hmm. needs me to recalibrate how I read. <laughs> because, um, here, here, uh, hold up the first sentence. Yeah, here, one second. That, um, I, I'm a speed reader. For me, this is like I I never do one thing at a time. I tend to do six or seven things at a time. Mm-hmm. I play video games, listen to podcasts, and work out at the same time. Uh-huh. It's how I operate. So here's how I read in my brain. It was late and everyone had left the cafe, but old man who said the leaves up. It was late and everyone had left the shadowy. The so I have to the second my my mind. So here's what it says. Mm-hmm. It was late, and everyone had left the cafe except an old man. Who sat in the shadow the leaves of the tree made against the electric light. Mm-hmm. My brain does not comprehend sat in the shadow the leaves of the tree made against the electric light. Mm-hmm. So I had to reread this paragraph something like 20, 30 times before my brain let myself read it. Okay. That <laughs> it, it's it, it's it's really it was difficult for me mm-hmm. at first because it's just so different to how I process information. Mm-hmm. And once I once I stopped fighting it, once I stopped being annoyed at it, once I stopped wondering where the commas were, I appreciated it for what it was. I realized that reading a Hemingway story like this, I have to treat it like I treat um, looking at a painting. Mm-hmm. That you don't look at a painting and move on. You look at every corner slowly and you see where every brush stroke melts into the next one. You look at the individual details of the painting. And you 
have to do the same thing with a Hemingway story. I've found anyway in that style of writing. Because if you try to read it quickly, your syntax trips, falls, and gets mad like a kid like putting a stick in his own spokes. <laughs> so once I got over my brain process, I thought it was a lovely description of a series of almost still images. Hmm. And then I got annoyed at the guy for being like, they want to go home, dude. And then I'm like, okay, fine. It's I, I, I love the service industry. I live for it. And I'm like, come on, he wants to go home. But I really came to appreciate the meditative quality of it. Yeah, no. I, I think that'd be interesting since the fact that, yeah, you are a, you are in the, or have been in the service industry. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I was like, I wonder what he would think about this. So I'm like, Annoyed. This is, this is about, it's, it's anxious for you. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I started sweating. <laughs> no, it's, it's in, like, clearly it describes a point of view. For those of you who don't know what the story is, yeah. it is a simple description of an older deaf gentleman who's just sitting in a cafe later in the evening. Two waiters are waiting for him to go home, or at least one of them especially is. The old gentleman gets too drunk, he refuses to pay, he staggers off in the street and stays too late. One waiter desperately wants to go home, and the deaf man keeps on saying, more brandy! <laughs> so, he serves him, eventually he forces him out, and then the other waiter kind of meditates on on time and aging and space and loss and that's all the story yeah that's 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 essentially all that happens the, the at the end he goes to another place to yeah a drink and he talks about how he doesn't like it there's the there's the younger there's the younger uh uh, uh server who is the impatient one who wants to go home and then the older one who god like, forbid a server how it wants to go home <laughs> there's the older there's the older server who essentially is is saying it's like let him stay, or basically just kind of sees the older man and kind of recognizes the loneliness in yeah, him. Yeah, he he gets why a man would want to stay out in a clean, well lighted place, drinking brandy into the night. Yes, and uh, and he realizes that he himself is becoming that person already. He yeah. goes to another bar and hates it because it isn't clean and, and it's dim. And yeah, and like yeah. and uh, when he talks to the bartender about it, the bartender's just like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very lovely short story, and that's 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 all that happens. That's all it is. Um, I I, it did bring back to mind. It it's like a like an emotional roller coaster in my mind because I still try to process it quickly, but it is that feeling of being reminding yourself to understand other people, that it's you have to get out of your own head sometimes. That I'm having been a bartender for a million years, mm-hmm. it the feeling is. Come on, man. I just want to go. Like, I'm. I'm sorry. You want to stay here? It's not like I don't have a family or anything. Oops, my bad. And then you are you are gently led by the hand into understanding poetically, not overtly, what it means to be what what it means to have a place to be to go in the proper environment. Yeah, and just like the the younger man in this is that yeah he has every reason to want to be home now. Yeah, and, but it's like and it's like in this it's like the thing. Okay. Yeah, there's a line and like just... um, and he said that the old man finished in the tone that only stupid people use to <laughs> communicate to um dumb people and children. And yeah. I'm like, he wants to go home, him, <laughs> fucking chill out. But you never waited tables, Ernest. I don't think so. Yeah, I bet you never waited tables, Ernest. <laughs> Fucking sorry, I'm getting heated. You are getting heated. Yeah. Someone, someone is, someone is a young, uh, impatient man who wants yeah. to go home. I also early. listened to an episode of an excellent podcast called, came out a couple of years ago called Millennial, uh-huh. and it's about a young lady who, like, she has a college degree. It's her, it's her true story. She's documenting her time, and she goes on. She's like, and then I turned down this job. 
to be a reporter for the LA Times because I wanted to do something else. So I decided to drop all my standards and give up on life and become a server, which I hated. And I'm like, lady, <laughs> fucking chill. Mm. Sorry, so chip on my shoulder. Okay, that's fine. So, Daniel, let's start talk on uh, the killers with the question I have for you. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Um, I'm not familiar with Nick Adams. Yes. This is the first Nick Adams story I've ever read. Yeah. Who is Nick Adams? That's actually a very good question. Um, because this is this is part of the Nick Adams saga cycle. Whatever you want to call it. Nick Adams was primarily the main character in most of the short stories in In Our Time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, uh, Nick Adams would pop up in stories throughout the thing. There's not much that you need to know. Yeah, I mean, like, like describe him. Like, there, like who, what's he like? Is he is he just a passive observer in all these stories? There, there are a lot of Ernest Hemingway stories, novels, and short stories where the main character is essentially just a perspective, and an oddly, and oddly enough, can also just be Hemingway himself. Like in The Sun Also Rises. Uh, Jake Barnes is essentially Hemingway. Yeah. Um, Lieutenant Henry in a Feral Arms is essentially Hemingway. And essentially, Nick Adams is just a the main character who he uses all the time that he just doesn't bother to make up a new person. It may as well just be this person named Nick Adams. So sure. I've always viewed him as just kind of being like this cipher. Okay. A little so bit. he he's like just a a broad slate. He's just a guy. Yeah. I mean, he was a journalist. He had loves. He grew up. His father was a doctor. All of these are very fictionalized versions of things that Hemingway had been through or okay. has perspectives on. Um, but yeah, besides that, if so, you're... So the Nick Adams journeys are never about Nick Adams? No, sometimes like he is the main character. In this one, like he's not he's not really like a character. Yeah, he's just he's an observer, basically. He, he's an observer. And there, there are plenty of stories. There's either stories where he's an observer like in this or it's him going through something. There's a great uh, story called The End of Something, which is about... Um, Nick Adams and like his young girlfriend are taking like a boat out and it's basically like their relationship is over, but neither of them has ended it yet. Okay. And that it's just them cool. talking a boat. I'm into that. They're, so like, if you were thinking that like you had to go into this knowing that you needed to know like where Nick Adams come from, not really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was curious. That's what I was curious about. Yeah. Um. I, I also, I keep forgetting that you don't really know Nick. No, yeah, exactly. Like, the I don't Adams know who thing. that is. So I was curious that is there an understanding of who this character is? Is is he a buddy glass, a complete very complicated background knowledge you should have of him yeah or is he is, or is he just a stand-in he's supposed to be just the narrator perceiving and that yeah in this particular he is just the observer he is mm. he is the person who we view the story through yeah. most of it yeah. like it made me wonder like are there people who are like oh i love nick adams what a great character <laughs> i'm like is that possible a jackhammer i don't know it's like a jenny yeah. generator a Jenny, yeah. an old Jenny. It's all film talk. You call Jenner a Jenny. All right, we're just gonna talk over it. Um, so yeah, no, no. Uh, I mean, there are people who do that, but essentially, like, it is the stories that they love, not so much like sure. the character that's depicted. It's, it's like not like a buddy vanilla glass. ice cream. It's like vanilla, not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, no. There's uh, there's nothing really to say. That's that's a that's a second jackhammer joining yeah, the first it's one. Jackhammer duo. It's one jack. It's one jackhammer across the street. Be like, hey, you got a fucking jackhammer on my goddamn no, you street? You can't jackhammer on my street. Hey, this is my trick, buddy. I got a jackhammer if I want. They full on Mandy and have a sword fight of, of jackhammers. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to hear that. We're gonna start hearing uh, screaming soon. Oh, we're just gonna talk over. It. It's not too loud. That's it's fine. off there. Well, noise reduce mm-hmm. it. Daniel, uh, do you want to tell the listeners, the kind listeners, mm-hmm. what is? The killers about. Uh, I'll try and be brief um, because, again, it's a story where even though there's a lot of menace and and intrigue, nothing really happens. 
<laughs> um, basically, two men walk into a uh, like a like a restaurant diner kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a diner that's not necessarily called a diner. Was it like a lunchroom or something? A lunch yeah, house, that kind like of thing. that. Come in and they start they start talking to the oh boy George. George. Yeah. George, who is like just like the server, manager, whatever, and start ordering things that are on the menu because they're on like the dinner menu and they keep being difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh and they keep the these two guys who are in uh coats that are tied a little too tightly around their bodies and they have hats on and they, they clearly are acting threatening, but not directly threatening. And then Nick Adams, who works there, essentially comes out and they start calling him Bright Boy. And then eventually they just say like, hey, join uh, George over here. I think they call him both bright way. Uh, yeah. jo- like stand behind the counter, get the cook out here. And, uh, and so ba- Al and Max? Al, Al and Max are the name of the these two men who we soon discover are essentially hit men. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. Yeah. All we know is that they're there and they're waiting on somebody named Ole Anderson. Yes. I think that's how you're Ole. I think so. I thought right. I thought it was an abbreviation uh, for Ole. Like, yeah. Ole Anderson. <laughs> then I'm like, oh, it's Ole Anderson. That makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I think it's Ole Anderson or maybe that's a play so, yeah, of words. Andresen. Andresen? Yeah. It mm-hmm. is not Anderson. Yeah, who was also just called the Swede, mm-hmm. who's a boxer. And supposedly uh, the bo- uh, the Swede comes in every day at 6 p.m., or roughly every day, to uh, to have a meal at this place and whatnot. And these two guys are here to essentially uh, wait there and kill him when he arrives. So they tie Nick Adams and the cook, uh, Sam, in the back. Uh, one guy sits with them with a shotgun. Uh, the one guy stands just like sits up front with George and basically just says like, yeah, yeah tell everybody like the cook's gone. Uh, six six o'clock comes by keeps going and after a while they leave after like the one basically says it's like i don't like leaving this here we you talk too much and everything they're just like we'll let them go yeah they leave uh they're just like listen you need to tell uh the swede that these men are here looking for him nick adams goes uh, goes to the swede's apartment and basically just finds him like this giant guy in a tiny little bed who hasn't gotten out of bed all day saying hey people are coming here and the guy's just indifferent yeah i know he said that he spent all day whether or not he's going to get out of bed and go to the restaurant or not, mm-hmm. as if he knew that they were coming for him, yeah. and basically just doesn't respond to this idea that people are coming. He seems very remorse, uh, morose. And at the end, he goes back. Uh, Nick Adams goes back to the restaurant, and the cook is just like, I'm not dealing with this shit. And and George is essentially just being like, yeah, let's let's not think about it. And the yep. story ends. The end. And then uh, and then uh, Burt Lancaster shows up. Yeah, yeah. and then it's some kind of fucking adventure, and Lana, like um, Ava Gardner, just yeah. hangs out. Like but, the, the the sheer presence of Ava Gardner makes me like, what what is this? Yeah, and both of them involve like a failed heist story with like the femme fatale character, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and like yeah, no, it's like the 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 guy, the Swede, the boxer, or the race car driver. Yeah. Um. Gets involved with crime, but fuck something up or whatever. Yeah. Millions of diamonds, whatever. It turns <laughs> into like the driver. It's like, okay. Yeah. Anyway, Gabriel. So yes. uh, this is your first time reading yeah. The Killers. These are both stories about people abusing waitstaff. Yes. True. Much. Very much so. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's, just, it's basically just me telling you something. Pretty much. Uh, no, no. Um, This is your first time reading The Killers. How did you think about The Killers? It reminded me of The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Okay. It was just a lot of like straight straight talk and dialogue mm-hmm. with a lot of um uh, uh something uh, what's something for not insinuated kind of yeah i was gonna situations. say like implied yeah, or... a lot of implied um consequences that kind of thing uh good dialogue mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of bright boy talk i know it's it's it just it felt like a a fully well-realized little scene that ends right where it should 
Yeah. And from like I, I can't like take my mind apart from the they they wanted to make an action and like thriller movie out of this. Yeah. Uh again, like Hemingway was popular. So like when Just like make it a just, just make an homage to it and call it something else. Call it like the Swede <laughs> versus the world. You you'd figure people can be like and then on one scene the guy's reading the fucking book <laughs> and that's it. Or something like like loosely adapted or based exactly. on, right? Well like the thing is the poster said for like the forty six movie, Ernest Hemingway's The Killers. How did he so, like, like it? What's I have no fucking idea. Mm. <laughs> um, I have no idea. Like, it's so weird. And again, like, much like today, like a popular book comes out and immediately like a movie comes out yeah. based on it. The fucking road. Um, uh-huh. But like, like people like Hemingway, it's like, OK, sure. They made a shitty Hollywood movie of like a feral arms, whatever. But like the idea that they did that for like the sound and the fury, mm-hmm. it just makes me like, what? How, why, what how would they do that? Why would they do that? And you hear the description and be like, that's fucking awful. Mm-hmm. So like, like, I don't know. I don't get it. But like, it's like the, it, someone wanted to make money on Hemingway's name and whatnot in one of his popular stories. Sure. And then they're just, and they're like, as you've uh, said before, um, when Hollywood screenwriters essentially have to like adapt like literature and whatnot, they look at the thing of being like, huh, I got to do this. Eh, fucking whatever. Yeah. They just, people were punching in a clock back then. Yeah. It wasn't, there wasn't like being struck by a lightning bolt of inspiration. You received the fucking tome and the um, production and the producers of above were like, make this into a, into a movie script there, Jolie. Yeah. And, and this... he's like, what? <laughs> I'll I'll find someone to read it for me and I'll spell right. Yeah. And this is oddly the inverse of it. It uh-huh. is having almost, there's a lot of story, but too little plot and action. Yeah. So like it's like you had to do the other way around. You have to invent. Yeah, you know, all the you know things, some yeah. some big wig was like, I don't know, put an Ava Gardner in there. There's a beautiful woman. There's some gunfighting. It's easy. It, yeah, it sounds like the most pot boilery kind of plot you can slap on this story. Yeah. Um, they had a studio system back then made hundreds of movies a year. Oh yeah, totes. Like they churned them out. Oh oh, totes my ghost. It was like episodes of TV. Yeah, which is entirely different today. Which, yeah. uh, which is purely an artistic, based on artistic integrity. Natch. Gabriel. Um, but no, as you said, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, it doesn't uh, really, I don't even have to say to describe how much this story kind of influenced stories by Dashiell Hammett, mm-hmm. Raymond Chandler, and even people like- uh line, like Leonard. Georgie Higgins. Yeah. Um, like this, yeah, this is a it's very- like Georgie Higgins. It's George, like, it's already George V. Higgins. You're just leaving out one little noise. Yeah, I don't get the V, man. I don't, I'm not it, crazy It is it. an odd one. George V. Higgins. George V. Higgins. V. Higgins. George Viggins. It was V. Higgins or something like that. George yeah. Higgins. I don't know, whatever. George Victory Higgins. But like, yeah, because again, um, like- Organized crime and like noir wasn't really a thing yet. Like, when was the first like Hollywood noir film? Was that thirties? Mm, that's a good question. I think that was late twenties. Late twenties? I think so. That's roughly. Like, Maltese Falcon was one of the ones that really like just set it off. Yeah. When was that? That's a good question. Let's find out. I feel like okay, but like essentially, like yeah. So this came out then. Like, like right. Maltese Falcon was like 30, 31. 31? Okay. Yeah, I was close. So this came out slightly before. This was um. Yeah, 27. Mm. Uh, this is the one that came out first. So, like, again, like, this, this oddly enough, has a place. It's not ex- it's not a hard-boiled story. It just has, like, a place kind of influencing a lot of hard-boiled stories. I dig that. And, again, Chandler, huge fan of fucking sure. Earn. Yeah. And uh, so is What's-His-Face, Hammond, and everything like that. Daniel, let me ask you. Yes. So, you pick these stories. Nah. You said generally why you picked them. Mm-hmm. Um, let's think of this one for now. I think uh, it, it's it's not hard to see why someone would like a clean, well-lighted place. It's a beautiful little painting mm-hmm. um what do you like about the story so much uh killers yeah or well-lighted place so killers. killers okay killers um well i don't necessarily i mean honestly it's just like it or is do a... you not like it 
I don't know. I like it enough. I don't. I don't love it. You I think, think it's uh, a big old bag of gas. I remember like a clean, well lighted place like really fucking hits you. Um, and like it's because it's dark and about aging and and just knowing that you're aging and yeah. and appreciating a pl- like a clean, well lighted place that you need in your life and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's that's huge and, yeah. and whatnot. Listeners, watch The Irishman. It was amazing. Yes. Uh. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh. Uh. We should. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I should read the book. But we're in um, Los Angeles, we can see advanced screenings. But uh, <laughs> we're cool. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but um but like yeah the killers in the meantime like don't get me wrong like it it is as you said it is great how much like it is everything that needs to be on there on the page it is a great example of writing mm-hmm. um but yeah no it's it's just a very well told story like I, I i like it a lot it is it is solid it's what hemingway does best that even some of his novels don't really do because they need to be longer if i find it interesting like daniel like if you, if someone asked me, does Daniel like stories that are pure dialogue? I'd be like, I don't know. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. That this thing is, it, it reads like a screenplay, basically. That is that like, what is that? Would you say that's your thing? Because I like a story that's pure dialogue. It's all my speed. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, like, I'll I'll like it if it's good. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, like, again, like with the, the George Higgins thing. Um, I love the shit out of that style, and that was like that was more experimental than this. Yeah, I would say true. you know, um, this uh, th- there are plenty of also Hemingway stories that are also done in a style where it's essentially just two or more people having a conversation, and like you have to read into what they're talking about, like uh, the classic thing that everyone read in like fucking middle school, or whatever Hills Like White Elephants, where it's two people talking. Yeah, did, isn't that a thing? I mean, I I, I remember reading that. I did not. Um. And uh, and like it's one of those things where it's two people talking and and they don't talk about the thing that the story is about, but the story is about the thing that they're not talking about, but sure. also talking about. It takes a lot of skill to do that. It is it is very good dialogue. I, I I I love a story that does that kind of style of people talking in that way. Um, yeah, I mean. That's the end of my sentence. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Gabriel, how did yeah you dialogue how, like that? How did you overall like uh, the killers? I think you kind of said a little bit before, but I, I liked it just fine. Yeah. Um, it 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 felt like a perfectly compact little story. It just made sense. There's a little scene, little dramatic scene. If you told me that people do like dramatic play, like one act play versions of this all the time, I'd believe you. Yeah, and short films. <laughs> and short films. Honestly, just make short films, guys. Stop making these big long fucking things. It's it's nice. It's fine. It's it's not not much of it's gonna stick with me. To be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. I feel like I've read this story before, done by someone else, and it's nice to know that this this has it has an originator. Yeah. So, this is cool. I as I guess I never thought about Hemingway as dialogue. Like that was kind of my point, my question. That for me, that my understanding when I think of Hemingway, mm-hmm. I think of um, long, simplistic. Not simplistic is the wrong word. I think of long, straightforward, uncomplicated description. And instead of commas, which drives me insane. Yeah, that's called a uh, polysyndenton. Polysyndetic. Pendetic. Pendetic. So. But pendenton is like just the you know the other version yeah. of it, which is a uh, uh, for people who uh, aren't familiar with the Hemingway style and whatnot is a process that's as old as like the King James Bible and gets still gets continued to this day. Sure. Uh, uh, Shakespeare used it. This guy used it. A bunch of people use it. Oh, old Cormac McCarthy, that yeah. old boy, he used it's it too. It's a stylistic too. choice. It is a stylistic choice where basically instead of uh, hitting periods and beginning new sentences or using commas, it is the idea to say something and say, and this happened, and so and then this ha- and this happened, and th- not and then, it is and this and. happened, or buts or whatnot, conjunctions. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there are many different ways to do it. Another way to do it is to keep like a solemn tone and also grab somebody's attention. Like you're supposed to be paying attention to these little things that are happening one after the other. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it is a, it, it is a style that when used right, I think is very, very effective. Um, yeah. it, but, re- it requires recalibration. Yeah. Uh, no well, one writes like this anymore except for like Cormac McCarthy and he's ancient. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I was gonna Daniel say, like, Gonzalez uh, writes like this. Daniel Gonzalez does like like this, but um, sometimes. Uh, but no, no, I'm trying to think. Like, yeah, you know what? Uh, Hemingway was very known, especially the early stuff. His good stuff uh, was like kind of. He was definitely like a very good like dialogue writer. That's why I was so surprised when I finally read Sun Also Rises. Yes. where I'm like, oh, this is this is like Fitzgerald. This is cracking dialogue. This is this is fascinating. Yeah, a- absolutely. And and like the best stuff is that. Like uh, again, maybe maybe from like my birthday or something like that we'll do a Feral to Arms or something like that. But mm. but uh but like that when like he does very interesting things with dialogue. And then like later in life he kind of shat the bed with his sure. dialogue because everybody started talking like Hemingway heroes and they would they would talk about really like he went from making fun of people who talk about courage and valor to talking about courage and valor sure. so yeah that's called aging but I tell you what Gabriel uh, I, I'm sorry we can go on a little long we we're, are we're wow, go- yeah we're going on a little long uh, let's 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 go on break when we come back I believe you have a game do you I got play? a game for you so Gabriel mm-hmm. before we fucking get too long in the tooth and start talking about courage and valor Throw us to break. Courage and valor! Welcome back to Jackhammer versus Jackhammer. Jackhammer violence, ready in your face. Gabriel, you all for blue Jackhammer or red Jackhammer? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Children eat free. Children eat free. Red Jackhammer. Okay. Good job. I think Red Jackhammer has a future in him. Uh, yeah, no, Blue Jackhammer, honestly, I don't like his politics. Listen, yeah, I was going to say, like, Blue Jackhammer, I got to be honest, you didn't hear it from me? Communist. Oh, that's ironic. I know. I know, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> Gabriel! Yes, Daniel! You have a game for us. Mm-hmm. What game do you have? Daniel, so I know for a fact that you are something of a Hemingway expert, mm. or at least you um frequently research him for one reason or another. Sure. <laughs> so I thought instead of going for another clever wordplay game, which I could have done, which I always enjoy doing, mm. I thought I would test you on some fun Hemingway trivia. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to call this game The Importance of Being Hemingway. Oh, so I only have about six questions here, maybe seven, one of which has some bonus things. Okay. And these are all things that I thought were, oh, hey, neat. I guess I should have known that. All right. So nothing too obscure. There was one question that I really wanted to drop on you or something like, supposedly Hemingway was a KGB source. What was his code name? <laughs> it was Argo? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, okay. He was a KGB source? Supposedly. Allegedly. Okay. In a document that came out in like 2009 or something. It had him listed what? as a really? source. really? <laughs> yeah. Because apparently like one of his wives is a reporter in China, and he came with, and then he was a willing recruit in the KGB as a source. That's interesting. Supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah. This is all alleged, I, but- I mean, yeah. I mean, I would I would hear that, and I'd be like, I'm pretty sure that's BS, but whatever. Okay. I, I have no idea. To be yeah, okay. As always, Daniel, please keep score because I can't pay attention to that kind of thing. Gabriel, I will keep score. Right now, okay. I'm 0-6. Alright, exactly. Okay. Alright, Daniel, cue the music, some classic Hemingway music. Question one. Oh, it's intense. Let's, let's, let's start simple. Okay. Daniel, what kind of gun did Ernest Hemingway use to kill himself? 
It was a shotgun that he bought at Abercrombie and Fitch. Did he really? Yeah. Abercrombie yeah, our, our, Fitch. Sold Abercrombie and Fitch used to be more of like a hunting. That's kind of awesome. Place. I know that part. Yep. Correct, Daniel. Yay! It was a double-barreled shotgun that apparently he treated more like a friend than he did people, <laughs> which I just really enjoy. And Gabriel, did you know that the damage done to his frontal cranium, uh, cranium essentially, was so severe that people don't know if he put the shotgun in his mouth or just pressed it against his forehead? Hmm. I know. I mean, under the chin would make more sense. It's a shotgun. You'd make more sense, but I guess there was no hole under his chin. He has so some. I guess I'll do it. He has some very. Hi- hi- interesting ways in which he does violence onto himself so sure. yeah i read a lot of like it last getting n- back on a plane like yeah um like that whole thing which i read about last night it was kind of a bummer I love um, so. it's <laughs> such a ridiculous thing it sounds ridiculous but i'm, I'm sorry go ahead moving on daniel yeah. <laughs> question number two what american newspaper was he most famous for being a reporter for oh no it's a chicago paper wrong damn fuck <laughs> yeah middle america uh, middle America. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. I'll give it to you if you get the city. Oh fuck. Oh no. It, it was. Is it in Illinois? No. Fuck. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. That's like the one thing I don't really. I know about him being a reporter in Chicago. I don't know about anything this. Else. This publication, which still exists today, gave him an award posthumously, obviously, for being their best reporter or something. Breitbart. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Breitbart. No, Daniel. Aww. The answer was the Kansas City Star. Oh shit! Now it sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And these are these are all fun facts. Yeah. That no. I'm just kind of curious. About. I'm I'm fine. One uh one one good one bad so there far. There you go. Yep. One, um, one bad. I'm good. I'm fifty percent. Okay. Here's another Daniel. Back to high school apparently. Who was Jack Hemingway's godmother? Jack Hemingway's godmother. Yes. Fuck. I'm assuming that's his son. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, he had a bunch of fucking kids. I don't remember all the names. Yeah. <laughs> Did I tell you I met one of his granddaughters? Uh, no. She worked at the Strand. She was a regular of mine at the Think Coffee. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, no, she's a nice lady. I don't know. Yeah, they have the history of suicide in the family. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, let me think. Let me think. Godmother, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm, is this like, I'm assuming this is like like a big name. Well, let's assume so. Okay. It's not like, like, it's like Caroline Ca- McGee from the Ca- store. I was gonna say Carol too. Good job. Hey. Um. Oh, the price of salt, baby. Yeah, there, like, there's, there's. Oh fuck! I should know this too. Mm-hmm. I probably read about this too. God damn it. Um, I'm going to guess. Yes. Pamela Anderson. No, um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, shit. Uh, uh, okay, I'll take a wild guess. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 oh, fuck. I'm like, it's on the tip of my tongue, too. I feel like I can see the image of a person who may or may not be the person, but I'm still trying to figure out who the person is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, like, there'd only be, like, in my mind, if I had to guess this, there would only be, like, like three or four women I'd guess from. Oh, true, true, uh, true, totally. Um, uh, It'd be cool if it was Lillian Ross, but I don't think that is the case. Mm-hmm. But that's he was a he was like that she was like he immediately adopted her as like an unofficial daughter though. Um, so I'm gonna how about this? I'm gonna guess Gelhorn. Gelhorn. <laughs> that's a stupid fucking answer. Yeah, Daniel, it was Gertrude Stein. Oh, it was Gertrude Stein? Yeah. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like that. Uh, like it yeah, can't like, be... you you way overthought it. 
Is is like Gertrude is like Jack one of like his first kids? Shit. Mm-hmm. All right, that would have made sense. Yep. I was thinking like like I was like, oh man, it's gonna be somebody weird like Zelda. Yeah, no, I was like, <laughs> I, like if you ask me the question, I'm like, it's either Zelda that'd be a weird surprise or Gertrude Stein. Okay. Okay. Or that lady who ran that bookstore. Sylvia Beach. Yeah. Okay, Daniel. Also, yeah, all the lesbians. He was apparently he had a lot of lesbian friends. Mm-hmm. Even his mother might have been lesbian. Hey, so. Daniel, if <laughs> Apple TV can make a fun, sparkly little TV show about Emily Dickinson's wild years as a fun, sparkly little girl, mm-hmm. starring uh, Haley Steinfeld, um, then you can make Hemingway and the Lesbians all about him and like living and hanging out with all these lesbians. Is that a real thing? Yes, um, uh, Haley Steinfeld's playing Emily Dickinson. Um, I conferred a friend of the show, um, Dr. Jenny Highest, Doctor of English, that mm-hmm. um, Emily Dickinson had a had a very like fun little childhood. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say that she was a lesbian. The fact you said like fun little childhood, and I was like, what? what? All right. No, yeah, no, I meant that like you should make a Will and Grace style show where it's Hemingway and a bunch of lesbians. That would be a fun. Yeah, I mean, like, okay. a gruff guy being like, oh, all these lesbians always around me. Also being, like, essentially constantly raised by lesbians, too, yeah. also, yeah. But anyway, okay, Gabriel. Next question. So, far, so far, one right, two wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're doing okay. Cue in music. Cue in music. Daniel, what famous boxer refused to fight Hemingway because he knew, I believe this is a quote, Papa would fight like a madman? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is this Sugar Ray? Give you one more guess. Okay. I'm running out of boxers. Jack Dempsey. Hey! Jack Dempsey. Well done, Daniel. Gabriel. Uh, I forgot. I forgot the guy's name, but Anderson, the guy who the boxer who was killed, was apparently Andre. Yeah, thank you. Um, was apparently known uh, because that when uh, during his prime, he knocked out Jack Dempsey. Hey. Which is the only reason that name was on the tip of my tongue. Sure. Hey, that worked out great for you. Oh man, thank God for for that some... was that was a real slumdog moment. <laughs> yeah, Gabe. Yeah, exactly. It, it was, was written. Moment. It was written, Gabriel. So so far, two two. I yeah. got two more. Yeah, I got two more. So Gabriel, you actually have, you have three more. Two more? What three? There's seven. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay, no problem. And also, the third one has a bonus. The last one is a bonus. Okay. Cool. Uh, okay. Well, I might need it. So Gabriel. Yeah. Let's see. Next question, Daniel. Cue the music. Which literary critic? Did Hemingway slap slash hit in the face of the book for giving Death in the Afternoon a bad review? I believe he hit him with a copy of Death in the Afternoon. Oh, he's such a bitch. (laughs) God. It's both an interesting book, but he, yeah, it deserves all the, I didn't fucking finish it. It Mm -hmm. just goes on forever. Sure. All right. Oh, boy. Um... I'm I'm thinking it's not Robert Wright Penn. If I said his name right. I gave you a shrug. Okay. Cause he was around. Uh normally this kind of person would be like Harold Bloom, but I don't think it was him. Fuck would it be? And, and Penn was a little too uh into Hemingway, I think, so it couldn't be that, even though he has punched people and made good friends with them afterwards. Uh, oh boy. Gabriel? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna guess? Yes. No, fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a wild goddamn guess. I don't even know if he was, like, a necessarily, like, a critic necessarily, but John Dos Passos. Okay. Yeah. Incorrect, Daniel. The name was Max Eastman. Oh, okay. All right. Here's the story. Um, This is from Mental Floss, this website. Okay. In his review... 
Eastman had alluded to the quote-unquote false hair on Hemingway's chest. <laughs> when the two men came face-to-face in the office of Hemingway's editor, Max Perkins, in August 1937, several years after Eastman's review had been published, Ernest bared his hairy chest to Eastman before striking the reviewer with a copy of the book. <laughs> the blow, although Hemingway maintained not a particularly forceful one, nevertheless knocked the somewhat less powerfully built Eastman to the ground. Nice. That's a, yeah. <laughs> this is like in Perkins' office, Hemingway's like, oh. Eastman rips open his shirt, shows like, off his hairy chest, hair. then hits him in the face with a copy of a book. Oh, did he have it on him? I, I, <laughs> maybe years this later, s- several years after the book came out, or like he like he like walked around Perkins' office, being like, "Yes, that's it is nice to meet you, Eastman. It is." Oh, look, a copy of <laughs> Death in the Afternoon. Per- Perkins was like, "Listen, come to my office. Hey, just to know, Eastman's here." Prime was like, "Hold on, I have to go to a bookstore. <laughs> I'll be right back." All you have is paperback. Yeah, don't yeah. <laughs> All right, all Good right. Times. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't know that. Um, oddly enough, I've been reading around that section recently. I see. But Gabriel, uh, yeah, no. So so far, I got two right, three wrong. You might need this bonus question. I, I do. I, my Papa information isn't too good. So Gabriel, here we go. Here's the next one. True or false? Hemingway took a fountain from Sloppy Joe's, a local bar in Key West, and turned it into a urinal at his house. He took a fountain from... Okay. True or false? True? False, Daniel. (laughs) It was the other way around. He took a urinal out of Sloppy Joe's and turned it into a fountain. Oh. Yeah. So apparently, here's the description. Hemingway wrote several iconic works, including The Have and Have Not at his house in Key West, Florida. Mm -hmm. It's also where he converted a urinal from a local bar into a fountain. Local haunt Sloppy Joe's was a favorite watering hole of the author, so when the place went under renovation, Hemingway took one of the urinals as a memento, quipping that he'd already poured enough money into it to make it his. Papa! Gross, Gross man. <laughs> <laughs> and here's your last one. All right, you know, I, clearly I was playing you instead of get. Like, I was thinking, like, that's such, that was so weirdly specific. Yeah, yeah it had no, to be Honestly, true. I, I assumed you knew that fact. No, no, no. There's a, that's there's, a fun little one. There's a lot of information about, about this whole thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Daniel. Okay. So, <laughs> here is your last question. Also, two right, four wrong. Okay. So Each one of these could be worth two points. It's up to you. Okay. Wait, how many are there? I'm sorry. So, name at least three of his four wives. <laughs> and bonus, he dedicated one of his books to each one. Mm-hmm. Can you name... The man you match the book to the wife. Well, his first wife was Had was Hadley. Okay. Um, I don't remember him <clears throat> dedicating the sun also rises to her. I feel it was either in our time the sun also rises or possibly farewell to arms. Which one? It was just one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh fuck! I'm gonna guess <laughs> the sun also rises. Correct. Yes. Fuck yeah. So that's. Um, let's call that a two points. Sure. Well, let's say that if you get the three out of four, then like you you got it. Okay. Well, how about this? I know that his third. Pff, I'm gonna blow the mic. His third wife. I think it was his third wife. Was uh, Gelhorn. Mm-hmm. Martha Gelhorn. Martha Gelhorn. Martha Gelhorn. Fuck. Um, I, I I'm blanking out exactly when they were married. I'm trying to think. It, it, was, it would actually be really obvious to see like when it came out because he only wrote so many books at that point. Uh huh. Um. I'm going to guess, yeah, 
that he dedicated that one to. It's not death in the afternoon. It might be to have and have not. You know, I'm going to guess to have and have not. Well, Daniel, you got the lady, but not the book. Ah, that book, um, um uh, he dedicated to Martha, for whom the bell tolls. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Daniel. So roughly around the same you, time. If you get, <laughs> let's see, if you get one more wife, let's say if you get one more wife, then you win. Well, his last his last wife was Mary. Okay. And I'm gonna guess if. It was either it was either one obviously one of his last books. It's either sure. uh, Across the River into the Trees. It's either The Old Man in the Sea, or it could possibly be the posthumous uh, uh, the move, a movable feast, which would actually be kind of ironic because he never completed it. Marth or Mary actually completed it for him. She actually and like arranged Hadley's it. all over it. Yeah, yeah, Hadley's all over it. And specifically, <laughs> specifically, the book ended uh, originally with the story with um, he's measuring his dick against Fitzgerald's, mm-hmm. and instead Mary made the final story. I forgot what it was called, but like the one that's all about Hadley, like really like reminiscing his time with Hadley and whatnot. That's nice. the final story. Um, Daniel, let's say that if you can get this dedication or one more or the last wife, you win. <laughs> oh, fuck, I actually don't remember the last wife's name. Um, so, for the, I was like Gail. I think that's way off. But uh, I'm going to guess across the river and into the trees. Are you sure? No, but. <laughs> yeah. Daniel, you got it. Do you want to take Ooh. a wild guess at the last one? The last wife? Yeah, this, it was the second wife. Oh fuck, I don't remember. Another M. <laughs> no, it, it was it was alliterative. It was okay. Um, didn't sound it though. Let me see. Hadley, blank, Martha Gilhorn, uh, Mary. It's like Mary and her middle names in there somewhere. Mary Welsh was her. Mary name. Welsh, thank you. Um, I don't remember her name at all. Joan her name was Pauline <laughs> Pfeiffer. Pauline, that's what it was. And Death in the Afternoon was dedicated to her. Okay. All Good right. job, Daniel. You yeah. won. Did I? You did. <laughs> Thanks, Satan. Yay. Yeah. Well done, Daniel. I, I did not do well in the main part of the quiz, but thank God that I I, I finally know most of the names of his wives. <laughs> yes, Daniel, you can call yourself an expert after all. Woo. And that's how you play The Importance of Being, Being Hemingway. Hemingway. Whew, that cool. Was, that was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, Gabriel. I watched, I watched the strain the entire time. Yeah, G- Gabriel, very good, very good game. Um, but we do need to go on break. Okay. When we come back, we gotta do final thoughts. We gotta do the other thing and the other thing. I don't know what I don't know what those are. Gabriel, throw us a break. Okie dokie. And we're back! Hi, everyone. I'm Jack Hammer versus Jack Hammer. Sorry. Jack Hammer Brothers. <laughs> I interrupted you introducing yourself with Jack Hammer versus Jack Hammer. That's like, our show. Like a real Jack Hammer. Got to keep up the Jack Hammer spirit, bro. Obviously. Non-stop <laughs> drilling. And I'm Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that voice means that we're back to slow readers. We're back and we're bad. America's fast-paced literature. I got to get to it. I got radio. Gabriel. Yes, Daniel. Now's a little thing we do called... Final thoughts. Final thoughts. We have some last things to say about these two little stories mm-hmm. called A Clean, Well-Lighted Place and The Killers. <clears throat> My throat hurts. Uh-huh. Um, Gabriel. Yes, so Daniel. Yeah. Uh, let's do them one at a time. Do you have any final thoughts about A Clean, Well-Lighted Place? Well, I read that one first, so I don't see most of the impact for me is on this one. Um, I'm reminded, as always, of like, like 
a teacher or a parent forcing me to do something good for me. Mm-hmm. And the first few bits of it, I'm so angry, <laughs> I'm so resentful, and I hate it. But once I give into it, once I give it the time and respect it's owed, I really come around to absolute to really, really appreciate it, if not like love it. Mm-hmm. If not even like like it, like like enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But truly respect what it is and appreciate it for everything it does. Um, Killer is a little more straightforward for me. That was just much more of a oh, it's a crime story. Um, in and out, nice and tight, cool beans. But I'm um, a cleanable lighted place. I'm glad I read. It's a lovely story. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like it reminds me of a painting, like a painting I'd really like. Yeah. Um. There's a really interesting uh, thing that uh, Jack Hemingway's godmother said, Gertrude Stein. Mm-hmm. Um, who pointed out early on that uh, you should never tell a, and I believe I got this word, incorrigible story. Incorrigible meaning, and if that, that is the right word, I think it is, uh, saying that like you can't put it anywhere because it stands on its own. Your your art needs to be like a good painting where you can basically find a good place to put it, but it is up to that person to put it somewhere. That's interesting. So if you look at some, if you look at either of these stories, they're not they're corrigible. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, which means that like essentially like yeah they they're very impressionist and they're very much like about how much you kind of relate to the sto- the emotional impact of the mm-hmm. story and whatnot. And apparently Hemingway was not very nice to waiters. Uh, um, yeah, he wasn't nice to a lot of people. That's fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Dana, what about you? What are your final thoughts about these? Final thoughts. Um, I feel like I had read a clean, well-lighted place like a decade ago. Uh, and I recently uh, reread it when I got this little uh, book, like a, a like a month or so ago, whatever it was. Um, and I was just like, this is not what I remember the story being at all. <laughs> mm. um, I thought I remember it being more like a, like a scene in a diner and a bunch of people and like several characters talking instead of just like this, this, yeah, as you kind of described it, like this impressionist uh, 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 like visual of just of like two waiters and some old deaf guy and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, this, uh, the story's uh, the story's a motherfucker. Uh, it's pretty, it's really, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's hard to talk about because it's like it's like yeah, you know, it's it's great. Yeah, what what's what's there to say about it? It, it deserves all like the praise it's gotten since 1933. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, going off to the killers. Um, the killers is also I remember when I read that originally ten years ago. Um, uh, I didn't fucking get it. <laughs> but the killers? Yeah, or like I kept. I remember actually reading this expect like expecting something to happen. And nothing really happened except for you just see like the the boxer at the end who's all like I don't care whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, well, that was effective, but like I feel like most of the story was basically just like you're expecting something to happen, but nothing happens. Sure. Um, and so rereading it now as a much more mature person, just like I get it. And again, like um, knowing how much like he took plot and backstory out and whatnot to just focus on the like the pureness of the story. This is him doing, and me being a fan of the way Hemingway writes, this is like a great example of that. Um, uh, not great examples across river into the trees, which apparently would have worked better as a short story. Uh, okay. but, but yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah, other than that, like it's, it's good. It's solid. I, I recommend it to people. Both yeah. of these. Um, definitely get around to it guys. Um, if you can find a copy of this, any library, any bookstore. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, people who want to read the killers aren't, uh, uh, turned off by casual racism. Yes. Very ca- just casual. Yeah. It was a different time. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's like, he's it's, it's a white man writing in the twenties. Uh, it's like, yeah. What do you expect? Baby steps. Although, again, uh, uh, 
comparing uh, uh, Faulkner and Hemingway, uh, people give Faulkner shit for using the N word, but it's like, yeah, but like his like he was like mentally he's a complicated person. And it's like that's the person he's like he is a Southern man in the 20s. He wrote about things and, and made these people humans, unlike how they were treated previously. And it's like Hemingway's Hemingway's kind of a bastard when it comes yeah. to this. Like he's kind of unforgivable. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Lordy. Yeah, Gabriel. Yes, Daniel. We have one thing that we like to do, and it's super exciting. Okay. Where we like to celebrate our old buddy from the Whip Round podcast. Mm-hmm. A little, a little boy, a little fella named uh, a little cheeky chap named mm-hmm. a rosy cheeked young lad <laughs> named Shawnee B Horny. Shawnee B Horny. Shawnee B Horny. Where we like to do a thing called Hazy Memories. Hazy Memories. Gabriel. Miss Daniel. Years from now, you kind of said that I think for uh, that you'll find the killers forgettable or something like that. Yeah. But is there anything that you'll find uh, years from now when you recall having read A Clean Well Lighted Place and the killers that you'll recall? What is that hazy memory? Well, I'll I'll think about that old man, and I'll think about the the older waiter and that feeling of of you know you know I, I love the service industry and it's just for me that i it's it's an it's an indicator of a of a certain kind of decency that if i know you worked service then it means oh so you've eaten shit for a little while okay that's cool so i'll think about what it means to appreciate other human beings who are in a different position and what it means to age slowly so i'll come back to thoughts of this again and again mm-hmm. killers is that's neat Daniel, in honor of the Whip Around podcast, for all your weird news and needs, check them out every Whip Around Wednesday. Mm-hmm. What's your hazy memory? My hazy memory. Um, specifically, and I you know, hate to point out like the obvious like climax that probably everyone has jacked off over for for a hundred years. Um, I've never done that. Uh, jerked off over a short story. Yes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> of high literature, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> it's like wow, what a specific like thing to refute. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, totally. I mean, sometimes I'll just I'll read Hart Crane. I'm just like fucking furious. I, I, I totally feel you. Yeah, uh, I don't. I barely know who that is. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. No, uh, no, is like the the big climactic moment where we get into the older waiter's head as he as he leaves the bar and goes to the other bar and he starts talking about how like. His his moroseness takes him over, and he just starts talking about how nothing means anything. It's like this paragraph of just nada being nada, beautifully worded, uh, semi bilingual nihilism essentially. Mm-hmm. Before and again, like it's it is nihilistic at this moment. The story itself isn't nihilistic, but like yeah, and it just it just goes in this great thing where he just goes uh, uh nada y nada and something rather is nada y nada. Our father who art in nada, you know, mm-hmm. like this is just it's kind of wonderful and it really uh really drives it home or just like something that's very you'll remember it it's memorable um the killers i'm trying to think about specifically anything else besides like the big climactic moment of that because you know it's very obvious to say that but uh one of my favorite little moments just like that really harsh menacing moment where at the end when the killers are kind of leaving and the one kind of says like so what do we do and they're just like well let's just let's like yeah, just walk out and the other one's just being like i don't like the way things left like you talk too much there's a brief moment and it feels very real how much people are are again talking but not talking about killing everybody at the bar because yeah. they're they're witnesses mm-hmm. and the other guy's just like nah nah look at this guy he's a bright boy <laughs> right bright boy you're too smart for that mm-hmm. and like they leave a wonderful little moment where like the story is softly threatening but all of a sudden like the harshness kind of like really grabs you and i really yeah. i really dig that's a great that's a great moment so let's not talk about this fucking nerd hemingway bye uh, Ernest. bye dude bye hem hem
uh, 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 next time, uh, 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 don't get in so many plane crashes. Um, <laughs> get it together, bro. Get it together, man. That's not how you open a fucking plane window uh-huh. or a door or whatever it was. Is that Oof. what happened? Yeah, I'll get into Did that. Did he get moment. smooshed? Well, uh, if, if you want to get, like, in the second consecutive plane crash, which I believe happened a day after the first one, uh-huh. um, the first one was actually wasn't too bad. He was, like, a little damaged, him and his wife, uh, uh, uh Martha. Was it Martha or was it Mary? Martha. I don't remember, actually. Um, it was Mary, actually. Uh, is the in the second one he was taking off on a plane that was like the tarmac was essentially like a series of hills, so it was bouncing up and down. And at some point, it just like caught like the engine blew up and caught fire, and everyone was trying to get the fuck out of there. Uh, old Papa, God forbid, like other people found other means of exits, including like kicking open the windows. Papa went to the door that was wedged shut, and instead of kicking it open like a normal fucking human being, just pretty decided to bash it with his head. Why? Uh, because he it, again was he like a rabid animal having like a horrible flashback? Uh, well, the way the biographer stated it, um, it is a mixture of his uh uh panic need to survive and also his innate sense of self annihilation. So, like, he bashed a door open with his head like some fucking animal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that fucked him up. He was leaking brain fluid from his ears. Oh, my God. So, yeah. And uh, and he had problems ever after that. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. So, yeah. But on did, that... Did, did he have an NFL concussion? Yeah, basically. And then uh, and then Will Smith had to come in and be his lawyer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Gabriel. Yep, Daniel. We're not talking about old Mr. Head injury anymore. Yep. Uh, Mr. Brain fluid. What, what are we? What, what, next time is is uh, is a big celebration. Yeah, next time it is my birthday. Birthday. We're doing it's it. It's your birthday. Happy I'm a little birthday. too broke to celebrate. So what we're gonna do instead is we are gonna be doing a wonderful episode on one of my favorite books, Anne of Green Gables by Anne Lucy of- Maud Montgomery, baby. Montgomery. Lucy Maud. We were gonna go to Alcapoca, but we did the next best thing. We're doing Anne of Green we're Gables. We're doing Anne of Green Gables. Woo! should be a riot it's gonna be fun i am listening to the audiobook yeah yes read by rachel mcadams yeah she does a good job she does she does a fine job yeah her her and monologues are very good <laughs> yeah uh but yeah that's where we're gonna do that next week um nothing else to really say about that after this for the last week of the month i believe we're going to do that fucking kingsbury tome kingsbury again. tome kingsbury tome sure. uh which is a brand my favorite brand of uh, uh produce gabriel I believe it. Go on. <laughs> One little thing we like to do. It's our favorite part of the whole show. Mm-hmm. It's a little thing called plugs. Gabriel, what do you have to do to plug? Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't done it already, please check out Self-Evident Asian America Stories. It is a heritage documentary podcast about Asian American history. Um, I am myself produced, wrote, performed episode three, the talk we were supposed to have. I am very proud of it. It is about my life and it was featured on the AV Club. So please give that um, a listen. Check it out. It's a good time. Um, Give this show some rates, reviews, subscribes. Just give us a subscribe. You no, that's all we need. Um, I found out recently that putting too many calls of action onto your thing makes people not want to do it. So, sense. guys, just give us a subscribe. If you're like listening on Spotify, give us a follow. It takes you one button press. So please do that for us. I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Daniel, you want to tell them about our new show? Yeah, uh, we have the new show, Watchmen on the Clock. On the Clock. Welcome. A little limited series we're doing with old Katie Ann Kometz mm-hmm. herself. And, uh, and that's the show where we basically are following the new Watchmen TV show by Damon Lindelof and whatnot, starring Regina King, Tim Blake Nelson, and uh, R- uh, Don Johnson, R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, so you can you can get that anywhere where you get podcasts. Uh, besides that, you can check out information on my fiction, which is for sale right now. Just go to topgauntradio.com forward slash 
press um, press and uh yeah you could find information on my books and shit uh the cook uh, a cook in the kingdom and the shadow from the deep so go ahead and check those out especially cook in the kingdom i like that one a lot yeah uh that said uh that is the end of the show cool yes gabriel all right everyone see you next week for anne of green gables and of Green Gables tonight. If you want to send us any or send me any birthday packages, oh, get down on it. <laughs> send Gabriel gifts. He loves them. I love gifts. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye. This has been a Top Count Radio production, executive produced by Daniel Gonzalez and Gabriel Mara. For more shows and information, go to topcountradio.com. <laughs>